One of the most racist team sports in the world. It's not sailing. It's not anything that you could imagine that would play in a European country, but hockey. Hockey is still one of the most racist sports in the world. It's only been 65 years since the NHL broke the color line with a Fredericton local called Willie O'Ree that made history being the first black player in professional hockey. But in 2022, as New Brunswick and Nova Scotia are hosting the World Junior Hockey Championship, we see things like the following. 900 discrimination scandals and Hockey Canada just been discovered out of a new report. And out of the 10 countries that are playing in the World Junior Hockey Championship, only one person of color, which is a goalie called Kaiden Kimbele of the United States, which is the goalie. Now, in other sports such as soccer, basketball, baseball, even American football, rugby, and other sports such as cricket, the race barrier has been lifted and we have major superstars in each sport and having at least 10% of the population of those sports being of color, sometimes even as far as 50 to 45%. In hockey, we see that only 0.3%, not even a 1%, uh, is actually called person of color, indigenous, or not white. So as we go in this episode in a journey of racism through sports, we will leave the message of how this particular sport, which is very popular and is our national sport, still has been making all of this, what we can say, racism thrive in professional sports. Let's start the show. Four, three, two, one, fill your cup up and chug on the dry mouth and get fucked. What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel Franco. Now, to say that hockey is a pastime in Canada, it would be saying like people like burgers or fries or hot dogs. Um, hockey is very into Canadian culture, is our national sport along with lacrosse. And it's one of the biggest exports of Canadian talent. We have won many hockey titles, many gold medals, females and males, and Paralympics. So it's an understatement to say how important hockey is. In Atlantic Canada, it is a very important factor of the Canadian culture, so much so that millions of dollars are being spent on the World Junior Hockey Championship hosted by New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And if you want to know how excited people are in hockey here, I will put a clip of the Premier of Nova Scotia, Tim Houston, when the committee selected both provinces to host the World Junior Championship. Let's hear it. Hey folks, I'm Tim Houston, Premier of Nova Scotia. I am so excited and proud that Nova Scotia has been selected to host the World Juniors with our amazing partners in New Brunswick. This is such a significant event, not only in the hockey world, but on the calendar of Canadian families. Thank you to the selection committee. We will not let you down. Nova Scotia is a proven leader in hosting international events. We've done it before, we'll do it again. 
Thank you for trusting us with the opportunity to showcase our world-class hospitality, our amazing facilities, our energetic fans, and most of all, our love of hockey. The rinks will be full. The community will be abuzz. This is going to be absolutely great. We cannot wait. Over to you, Krieger Higgs. Thank you, Tim. I too am excited that New Brunswick has been selected to host the 2023 World Juniors Hockey Championship alongside our friends and partners, Nova Scotia. As a hockey fan myself, I understand just how important this news is to the hockey lovers across our great country and around the world. The World Juniors is a Canadian tradition, and here on the East Coast, we plan to do it proud. Thank you for this opportunity to host this first-class sporting event, inspire the next generation of young players, and show the world all that we have to offer. We look forward to inviting everyone to New Brunswick and showing them just how great a maritime hospitality truly is. As you can see, the excitement for both premiers, Houston and Higgs, it's very notable. Again, they're hockey fans and again, lots of New Brunswickers, Nova Scotians and Maritimers love hockey. It's not just a thing. Now, we can talk about the healthcare crisis that is going to New Brunswick, but that's a different story from a different episode. But you can check uh, how hockey is very integrated with Canadian culture, especially here in Atlantic Canada. But the dark side of hockey is the side that nobody talks about. Uh, it's talked about, but it's just not changing as much as it used to. Again, hockey has broke the color line since the 1950s and 60s. Uh, Willie O'Ree was the first uh, hockey black hockey player, which is Frederick. He was born in Fredericton, and he broke the color line. And this was in the 1960s. From then on, there's only a handful of hockey players. In fact, in the mid-90s, you could not do a full hockey team with colored players because there was not enough, or indigenous players. There was around three, four, maybe two per season. Uh, now, in the 2000s, that has gone a little bit better. I think they sh there are at least... 10 to 15 black players uh, at this moment, which is better. But comparing to other things like the NBA, the NHL, uh, the NFL, or the MLB, or even Major League Soccer, uh, the comparison is way out of line. In some sports, such as basketball in the NBA, is 45%. Uh, NFL is around 38%. Uh, sometimes it goes to 40, even 50% of people of color. And baseball is filled around 28 to 30% as well, because Latinos count as people of color. And again, we don't even need to talk about soccer. The World Cup is on and there's different nations in an elite play level. So basically what we're trying to say is that hockey has not evolved from its racism. There's still a racism culture. And if you don't believe us, because again, we are only a podcast, you can check an article by the Hockey News that says that Hockey Canada reported more than 900 cases of discrimination in its sanctions leagues. Uh, it's alarming, but not surprises, the experts and advocates say. So the result of this has only been little sanctions and a lot of people have been putting this under the rug. Now, this is not just only uh, racism. This is uh, discrimination to LGBTQ, 
there's some harassment towards women. And if you can check again, you can go to the hockeynews.com and you can actually check this article. So, and again, this is not just a problem with Canada. This is also a problem in hockey culture in the United States. Uh, we're going to play a clip at Al Jazeera News, which is actually a Qatari uh, news organization, but this is Al Jazeera US, and they talk about the discrimination of hockey in the USA and in Canada. It's not easy being a black hockey player. Just ask 15-year-old Darius Nichols, who's been training on the ice since he was five. It's very hard having to deal with uh... Uh, adversity, it's really hard to deal with. Most of the other players are white. And Nichols says while his own teammates in Maryland are supportive, he often gets called racial slurs by players from other teams. I've had kids call me the N-word. I've had kids just come at me for no apparent reason all the time. Let's bring a W, boys. Let's start the playoffs right. Yeah. Hockey coach Brian King says the same happened to him when he played in college. It, it was much worse um, from name calling to you know being punched in the face randomly there's also name calling and being racist and there's a clear difference between the two hockey still carries the stigma of being a white man's sport it was developed by european settlers in canada about 150 years ago and its popularity spread to the united states but unlike most other pro sports that diversified during the civil rights era Hockey didn't. Ice hockey is the whitest, straightest, malest sport out there. Renee Hess is trying to change that. She's the founder of a group called Black Girl Hockey Club, which organizes fan events and scholarships to support diversity in hockey. As a black woman, if I can find a space in a sport like ice hockey, and if a sport like ice hockey can cultivate a space for me, then that can happen anywhere. Professional hockey is indeed a sport that underrepresents minorities. Currently, the NHL has only about five dozen minority players, and just eight out of the 220 coaches are people of color. Get above it, get above it. Duante Abercrombie hopes to break into that elite group. Last fall, he completed a coaching internship with the Arizona Coyotes, part of the NHL's effort to nurture diverse talent. I want to be the first head coach in the NHL um, of diverse background to have his name on, on the Stanley Cup. He says he's unafraid to aim high because he demands the same of his players. He tells them progress just requires putting one skate in front of the other. Go again, go again. Heidi Jo Castro, Al Jazeera, Washington. Now, one of the things that this story misses is that there are black coaches in the NHL, but they are not black head coaches. There's defensemen coaches, uh, goalie coaches, but there's no black head coach. There's only been one in the NHL history, and that's Dirk Graham. And he was a coach from 1998 till 1999. And he's been the first and only head coach in the NHL. And when we go to general managers of team, there's zero black people there. Uh, so it's it's kind of amazing to see a league that has many, many years. I think the NHL has over 100-something years, and there has been no progress, again, comparing it to other leagues like the MLB, the NBA, and the NFL. And that has cost them also in 
ratings and revenue because one of the of the five major sports in America, the NHL is one of the least profitable. They still make a profit. They still make some money, but it doesn't make as much money as the other four. And I think it's making Major League Soccer is kind of creeping up, trying surpassing hockey as one of the fastest growing sports. So that is something to think about of how white the sport is. Now, when we talk about Atlantic Canada, uh, there's only junior hockey leagues. There's no uh, professional one. The AHL, there's one in Newfoundland, but there's no uh, professional hockey team in Atlantic Canada, neither Nova Scotia, PEI, or New Brunswick. Now, they have junior hockey teams and we have farm hockey teams. Uh, again, the farm hockey team, I think it's in Newfoundland. But again, we don't have anything else. And there is a lot of racism there as well. Uh, we're going to go with a story that happened recently from one indigenous uh, person in Nova Scotia and then another one from a black goalie in Nova Scotia. And I will say this one's, uh, I think one was six years ago and this one was like a year ago. So we're going to hear the first one, which is the indigenous person. And we are going to see what their reaction is. Logan Prosper was seeing red after a recent hockey game. Now it's red tape that's inspiring him to fight racism. Rolls of it are flying off shelves across Nova Scotia. A red tie, red ribbon or a red, uh, red tape on your stick uh, is going to signify uh, that there is awareness of, uh, of racism in hockey. 16-year-old Logan says a player from the opposing team taunted him on the ice during a game last weekend. Uh, he told me, he's like, uh, you, you look like a turd, you look like a turd, uh, na all natives look like turds, you shouldn't play hockey. He says similar taunts continued from the other team's parents in the stands. Words can't explain. So, just, I was so hurt. I had tears coming down my eyes because I knew he was hurt. Mm -hmm. And to hear the comments on the stands was even worse. Logan considered quitting, but has since been encouraged by an outpouring of support. Gets his first NHL goal. Prosper says it was former NHL player Akeem Aliou who inspired him to tell his story. Aliou spoke out about racism from former Calgary Flames coach Bill Peters. Aliou has now reached out to Logan. Former NHLer Cody McCormick also got in touch. I just want to reach out, let you know that you're not the only uh, First Nations player that's had to deal with something like that. Uh, myself being a First Nation and, and playing hockey, I love the sport, but it definitely came with some of that. Hockey Nova Scotia has launched an investigation and is looking at diversity in their league. We want to have a better understanding uh, of the needs of underrepresented communities and we want them to feel safe. Logan and his family say they aren't necessarily looking for disciplinary action, they just want racism in hockey to stop. This is not just about being native, this is about, you know, everyone being the same, equal, all kinds of races. Like. And they hope Logan's story will help. Kayla Hounsel, CBC News, Halifax. Now, in this story, the thing that catch me is that one of the NHL players, McCormick, actually called the gentleman that this is happening to, and he said that his experience that he had to deal uh, through this being a First Nation. And I kind of wanted to put that in perspective because not only Blacks have this issue in the NHL, First Nations and 
Asians have this same issue as well. Like Asians have been getting a lot of remarks as well. First Nations get them. And again, second generation Canadians that are from Asian descent, Indian descent, or Chinese descent, or Japanese descent, they get the same type of discrimination from hockey. Uh, this is not just a black thing of discrimination. Also, women uh, get discriminated in hockey, uh, not by their peers because there's women leagues, but by the organizations such as Hockey Canada that actually gives less funds to the Women's Hockey League. And again, LGBTQ, they get discriminated as well in, in hockey. This is not just a racism thing. It's a discrimination thing. And we want to do these types of because because they need to do better. It can't be that a sport so old has not cracked the knot and on diversity and non-discrimination and openness. And it's the people around it. In fact, we know it because Hockey Canada uh, just got out of this tremendous scandal of sexual harassment. And they had things like sexual harassment funds and things that they wanted to cover it up. And it's 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 a bit ridiculous that this is happening in a sport that is so privileged. And there is a lot of white privilege in this sport as well. It's a privileged sport with white privilege. Let that sink in. Like it's a sport that gets a lot of money, gets a lot of attention, millions of dollars are flowing around, superstars get creative, but they are white preferred. They're mostly all white. And the people that run it are mostly all white. And again, it's a shame because as I have children, uh, I'm not a particular fan of the sport as, you know, as other people are. But, uh, you know, if my children want to play this type of sport, I would not stop them, but I would have to educate them on what could happen, not because of the violence, not because of the sport is played, because of the color of the skin, uh, which is a bit silly. Uh, and again, this happens in Atlantic Canada. So, we're going to hear the most recent, uh, you know, mainstream case that happened of another Nova Scotian boy. And this happened on PEI. So let's hear this one. Halifax Hawks goalie Mark Connors says he was playing on PEI when other players hurled racial slurs at him. Now, nearly three months later, five players have each been suspended for 25 games. I think it was a good decision um, to suspend the boys. But overall, it's no one's winning as it, the way it affected me and the way it's going to affect them, it's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. The teens who were in the stands and play for a different PEI team will also have to do anti-racism training. It has to be meaningful. It can't be a webinar or check the box on the computer. Wayne Connors says his son sat before the virtual disciplinary hearing for four hours. The other players did not show their faces. Their parents spoke for them, all denying their sons said anything racist. And one thing that always stuck with me is, as one parent said, no person heard it. And at the end, Mark said, I'm a person, and I did hear it. The disciplinary committee said Mark was credible. If there can ever be a silver lining uh, for Mark Connors, I, I hope it's that um, Hockey PEI is spurred on to, to educate, to, to take a real stance and to be a community leader to, to make sure that racism is not accepted in, in any shape or form within the game of hockey. 
Connors received tremendous support at home and from NHL players. The Hawks refused to play on PEI, but now say they will return. So the fact that there's been considerable emphasis put on education um, for each of the individuals involved um, is, is what we're really, really heartened by. The Connors say the process was too slow, and they still want the players to apologize. The reason I did this is for the younger generation, so they don't have to go through what I had to go through. He's offering to go back to the island to play goal for a PEI team to help everyone heal. Kayla Hunts, CBC News, Halifax. Now, this story we have covered before on other episodes of Black in the Maritimes and in our other format called The Short. And it's a sad story that, you know, if these kids got suspended and I guess justice was done, I guess in some type of way. But like you said, this is going to mark him for the rest of his life. So nobody's really winning in this type of situation. And we are emphasizing on the world junior because these are kids. These are 15, 14, 13, 11, 10 year old kids that are facing racism at an early age on a sport. And this is just not right. I myself, I will be going to the juniors uh, championship hockey tournament in Moncton. I will probably bring my son and I'll see if he likes it. If he likes it, fine. If he doesn't like it, it's fine as well. Uh, the reality is I would like to be in a world that my kids will be judged by their character and not the color of their skin, like the great Martin Luther King said. But we know right now that the sport has a long way to go. And again, it has been around 60 years since the color barrier change. And we are going to leave this podcast with words from the man who actually broke the colored line. He actually went from 1957 to 1958, uh, the great Willie O'Ree. This is a cut by NBC Sports. And again, I hope you enjoy this. Please like us. Uh, shout out to everybody that donates on Patreon and PayPal. We appreciate the donations. We appreciate your support. And we'll see you next time. I know it's hard for these kids because, um, you know, I know what I went through. But it's a lot tougher now with uh, the way society is now. It's just sorry to see the young boys and girls come off the ice crying because of racial slurs. When I get the chance to talk to these boys and girls on the ice or by a phone or even in person, I just try and tell them that names will never hurt you unless you let them. Just play hockey, play your game, and don't worry about anything else. Because it's going to take a lot of time before people just look at a person for who they are. Willie found out, and he called me a few days later. I was actually in school, and he just talked to me and asked me a few questions. What happened? How did it make you feel? When he called us, so I was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> I'm talking to Willie O'Ree, like this is pretty cool. It wasn't just because he had to call us, he wanted to call us, and he wanted to help us with this situation. And then there was also an incident like two weeks ago where someone told me to go back to Mexico, which I don't really know. But later that game, it ended up being a tie, 3-3.
after the third period, and in the o OT, I ended up scoring the OT winner. It just goes to show, like, you can respond to that from your actions and not words, I guess, like, on the ice. Not actions by, like, slashing him or, but, like, actions like scoring or making a good play and stuff like that. Willard's legacy is important to celebrate right now because we live in a society now where very rapidly it's become acceptable to be unkind. And I think it's very important that we honor somebody like Willie because Willie is the complete opposite. He is very kind and he has helped my boys to become kinder people. There's a big push to get Willie into the Hall of Fame and I think he really deserves to be there because he has done a lot for hockey. There I am right there. Yeah, with the Bruins uniform, Mom. And here I am, here I am here. This had to be the 1953 team. I think I was 18. That's my brother, Richard. Uh, his nickname was Coop. He's the one that taught me a lot about hockey. In the 21 years I played pro, I had to credit my brother for all the things that he had taught me. It was my older brother who was my mentor. He loved the game of hockey. He was always over at the rinks and watching me play. He taught me so many things that I needed to know, sometimes in practice. He would check me so hard that tears would come to my eyes, but he always said that uh, you'll be hit a lot harder than this if you get into the pro ranks, and uh, he was right. I went up in the stands a couple of times, but, <laughs> but it, uh, I, always, I always tried to keep it on the ice you know, but uh, there are there were some incidents that you had to just show them that, hey, you're not going to take this type of abuse. And... O'Ree, pass the right in front of the net. Brewer, trying to bring it out. In 1961, I was playing against the Chicago Blackhawks, and uh, this player comes and gives me a two-hander across the ankles, and uh, he made a couple of racial remarks and comes out from my blind side, and I can't see him. And he holds uh, about six inches out of his stick, and he butt ends me in the in the mouth, knock, splits my nose, splits my lip, knocks my two front teeth out. He just stood there and laughed. Both benches empty. We were both thrown out of the game. I went in the dressing room, and uh, after they stitched me up, I wanted to come back out and sit on the bench with the players, but the fans were so irate that there could be bodily harm to me, so. I remained in the dressing room the entire game. I meditated for a few minutes. Do I really want to uh, continue playing and uh, go through this abuse every game? But uh, then I told myself that if I leave the league, I'm going to leave it because I don't have the skills and the ability to play anymore. I'm not going to leave it because the racism and the prejudice and the, the bigotry and the ignorance of not only players on the opposition, but fans in the stands. Mm -hmm.